they call me Crazy Jack. And I, I think crazy is good. We are crazy, but we're not stupid. You keep pushing because you believe in yourself and in your vision. Stay hungry, stay foolish. The Creativity Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Creativity Podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who want to make a difference in the world. Today, we have David Beckham, founder of Trudeau Consulting and keynote speaker on change management. David, welcome and thanks for being here on the Creativity Podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I'm super glad you're here today. Uh, just for those listening. So, of course, you want to make a joke, David Beckham. No, <laughs> it's not a joke. Um, believe me, I've asked if uh, David was making fun of me when he says his name first, but it's not. And he is uh, special in his own way. He's not in a footballistic way. And it's uh, when I've met David, uh, it was on a business analyst convention at which I talked as well and uh, he talked as well there and we had a great chat actually before we going on stage uh, about change about creativity about summarize about so much more and at some point I thought wow I should he should be on the podcast and have this chat again and as you'll see uh, David has quite a life path with obstacles Uh, David, you were also diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, That's right. and and your mindset and sense of reinvention is is truly an inspiration. So I, I want to talk about that later, if you're okay with that. Yes, that's fine. Thank you. But first, tell us already what you're doing today in a couple of words. Yeah, I, I have. I do keynote speaking. I speak at conferences on a semi-regular basis. I do. Uh, webcasts I do this is my first podcast which is mm. which is a which is a first for me so that's good I've, I've done a number of webinars I have I have two two blogs on the go at the moment and just generally commentate on training uh, change management personal transformation and managing change in your life and your business really so apart from that I'm quite boring <laughs> Such a hot topic uh, today. Yes. It's not boring. I, you, you trying your your modesty with me doesn't work. Okay, I know Fair it's enough. super interesting. <laughs> um, but at the beginning, um, before all that, you were a business analyst, right? Yes, so that's right. What, what's the job of a of a BA? The job of a BA is to generally be a nuisance to people who want to spend money on IT projects. And uh, what I mean by that is that business analysts sit between the people who are spending the money and are going to use the software or the changes the change process that you come up with and the IT designers and they try and get them to work together so it's mm. a bit like being between a rock and a hard place sometimes it, it can be a very <laughs> interesting position because everybody has their own point of view as to how it should work and the, the business analyst is trying to get the best result for everybody really um, but particularly the best outcome for the customer and you do find yourself being a diplomat um you end up doing a lot of negotiation but also you'll you have to be very comfortable with ambiguity a lot of the time when you go into a project nobody really knows what they're doing and it's your job to kind of surf that wave of ambiguity really which can be yeah quite entertaining hmm so what is your What is a typical day of a BA? Like you, you deal with a lot, of, a lot of numbers. Uh, is um, that not limited to this? You're more, you're more kind of asking a lot of questions, particularly oh. if you're in the stage where you're, 
you're finding out what the project is going to do. You, you know, you're normally presented with a budget and you're normally presented with a project manager who knows that they've got a plan and a deadline and, and a budget to meet. And you're the one who says, well, why are we doing this? And is there a better way of doing it? Or should we even do it at all? Which is sometimes quite a controversial question. Um, so it tends to be about asking questions. It could be working with a a set of IT designers to look at the way a system's going to work. It could be working with a set of people in, say, a call center to see how they manage their calls. Um, yeah, normally it involves questions to kind of add add efficiencies and make things better for the end customer, really. Wow, cool. And so did you, you decided to switch at some point first of all did you like the, this this job this position i, lo I loved it i loved it. Okay. it it suited me it suited me to the ground but it, interestingly enough i never planned on being one because when i first started working about 300 years ago because as you know i'm quite old but um, <laughs> when i started working at the company i worked for in 1986 i wow. I, I did uh, nine well seven years in in administration in the administration department and then they chucked me out because I kept asking too many questions like why do we do it this way and <laughs> there must be better ways of doing this so they threw me out into IT where I, I eventually gravitated to become a business analyst because when I first started we didn't actually know what the role was um, and I loved it and I, I, I sort of thrived in it but then I, I suppose after I was diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's, which was uh, nearly 11 years ago when I was 43, um, I began to realize that being in projects and looking at IT change and stuff, I suppose wasn't really fulfilling me as much as it used to. I, I enjoyed it. I still mm. enjoyed it. I still enjoyed working with the people and figuring out the problem. But it, it made me realize that I could perhaps do more through my own personal experience and sharing that so that it's that was, not uh, black or white it's just no uh, it's not it, you liked it but did you you felt there was some more yeah I, I think i sort of got to the point where i'd sort of read the book watched the film and bought the t-shirt really and mm -hmm. there, there wasn't there wasn't much that was kind of uh fulfilling me in the project area so i was luckily enough that i was i was able to move into a more of a training and mentoring role and from that point i decided you know well actually this is kind of what i want to do full time so when the opportunity arose i i, I set up my own my own little company so wait, 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 wait. that that's uh, i have questions before yeah, that. that's fine fine we, we can travel back and forth through time as we <laughs> exactly. desire Exactly. Um, you told me that uh, being diagnosed uh, with, the, with the Parkinson's disease helped you uncover what you really wanted to do. Yes. And so um, you you gave us a glimpse right now. What what did you? How did that happen? And what did you realize exactly? I think I i realized because parkinson's is a degenerative condition you know it gets worse over time it's uh it gradually robs you of your, your capability to do things physical things and stuff like that i mean at the moment i'm i'm a, I'm a bit shaky you might be able to hear it in my voice but i can go through a day where i maybe have two or three hours where i can't do anything because i will have the tremors and the muscle spasms which is Wow. quite annoying so it it, it 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 sort of taught me that there is finite time to our existence 
without getting too philosophical, although I probably will get philosophical. Uh, it's the place point. to be philosophical. Uh, Unleash know. the philosophy inside of it, you. Exactly. And, they, you know, they, we don't get any, there's no refunds at the end of the journey. Mm. You know, you don't get another go. Um, well, it's, I suppose it depends on your spiritual inclination as to whether you think you get another go or not. But, yes. you know, in this in this particular arrangement of atoms and electricity, I will not reappear once I've gone. Um, so, you know, it's it's important, I think, to do what you can to fulfill your own um, genius, I suppose, or creativity or mm. purpose. Um, and that was the, the main thing that really drove me is that you know life goes by very quickly and and it can change in the in an instant you know it can i mean my life changed in in the space of one sort of sentence when my neurology consultant said well i'm 99.9 percent sure you've got parkinson's and that was like you know a very intense moment and you never you you're never prepared for it but i think you've got to try and make the most out of it as much as you can and that that was I suppose that was the the thing that set the ideas off in my head about doing more of what I enjoy doing, which is helping people through through their change and getting them through you know challenges that they're facing. So, yeah, that's that's probably where it came from. Wow, that's uh, beautiful, and it's it's I think it's hard as well uh, when so it's it's um, it's a bit paradoxical, paradoxical. What do we say? Paradoxical. paradoxical yeah that, that, i think that's paradoxical right. you were um, right first time <laughs> that um sometimes we almost need uh such an event to to realize that although we know it we know it i i tell myself i don't have such obstacles in my life i have other obstacles but not that that big and and i wasn't certainly diagnosed with such a, a condition but I, I know that I remind myself of that, and yet I don't have the mindset. So it's it's really it's it's a shame that we need to be there to to realize this. Yeah, well, this is one of my concepts I came up with after my diagnosis was the was the term comfortable trauma, because mm. all change is traumatic, and and, the, and you get the negative or the uncomfortable traumatic changes like the one I went through a, a diagnosis. That, that could be extended to uh, loss, losing someone or losing your job or significant life change is uncomfortable. It's un uncomfortable and traumatic. The irony is and the paradox is that's the one that tends to stick because it's, it's like slapping you in the face. The ones that we yeah. want to do tend not to stick as well because they're, they're comfortable trauma. So I sort of introduced this concept of giving people the opportunity to listen to me and my uncomfortable trauma that I went through. And hopefully that would comfortably traumatize them, for want of a better word, into thinking about what they wanted to do, because it's uh, it's it's not easy. I mean, in, in some of my sessions I do, I say to people, you know, what would you do if you knew you were going to die? And people will say, oh, I'd go to Euro Disney or I'd... I'd sail around the world, I'd go buy a plane. I said, well, why aren't you doing it? Because you're going to die. And people get really quite upset <laughs> about it. And they well, there's no need to talk like that. And I said, but, you know, you are going to die. It's You don't want to look at it, right? No, exactly. Nobody gets out of here alive, unfortunately. You know, no, no one's no one's found a way of doing it yet. So, you know, it's, it's like um, the book, 
There we go. We're getting into samurai for a second here. I was the about book, to launch you on that. <laughs> the, the, book, the Hagakuri book, you know. Yes. The, the opening sentence is the way of the samurai is in death, you know. And if you think about it, if we're, we're very, very, very frightened of approaching that subject. So but wait, it is going to happen. Wait, I need to unfold a couple of things. <laughs> first, <laughs> you go too fast. Oh, sorry, um, mate. No, 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 no. So first of all, you were talking about comfortable trauma, and I know that you have a project that you launched with a colleague. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, my, my colleague Dave Harper, who I used to work with at, at Aviva, he was a, uh, he worked in a different location, but he went through a difficult uh, health diagnosis. He was diagnosed with cancer, but he's now luckily in remission. Okay. And we found that we were, Dave left the company a few years before I did, and we found that we were getting more and more in touch with what we were talking about. In fact, we, uh, hmm. we both developed very similar presentations separately. And then one day we presented them one after the other and it had the whole room in tears, I think. It was almost like a competitive illness competition. Wow. <laughs> and we decided to sort of pool our knowledge and we, we've kept in touch and we, we chat every week. And we recently decided to just do these little broadcasts, coffee, uh, coffee break con coaching, we call it. Uh, it's only a sort of 10-minute little chat that we record on Zoom, um, talking about our experiences, not necessarily with change, but things like communication skills, uh, leadership, that kind of stuff. Ah, really cool. And we'll we'll just, share a link. We'll share yeah, a link. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. it's really, it's just two of us having fun more than anything. <laughs> That's really cool. And so so to, to come back to, because I... I uh, I stopped you in your <laughs> in your flow. So, Sorry. what is what is your? I was about to say obsession, but uh, we have both this obsession uh, about summarize this interest in summarize and in in the, um, the, the 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 old Japanese philosophies. Yeah, I think the thing I admire about the the the, the, the Japanese way of life is they tend to have everything treated as an art. You know, there's an art of everything in 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 their culture, and I got interested in martial arts as a as a young person, and uh, I never really where I lived there weren't really that many martial arts classes. So in the end, I ended up taking up at the English martial art, which was fencing. Well, mm. I say English, you know, it was it's a, it's a, the, the French, of yeah. course, were the the real experts in it for many many years. <laughs> we, we 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 struggled on behind, and I I enjoyed fencing. I really wanted to get into something like kendo, but again, there yeah. wasn't anything like that. Near it's hard where to I find. Lived. It yeah. is very difficult. And getting anyone to teach you the art of drawing the sword in, in Norfolk, where I live in the UK, you might as well try and fly at the moon by yourself because it's just not going to happen. So I, But I, I used to read a lot about uh, martial arts and the samurai, and uh, I started to bring it into my lessons as a fencing coach, and I found it really worked. And once I realized it would work in that context, I thought, well, it, would it work in my, in my job? And, and some of the lessons did. Um, so, yeah, I've always been obsessed. Well, yeah, obsessed is a good word because I constantly <laughs> refer back to it. So, yeah, I just think there's a lot to be learned from the level of study that the samurai put into their craft. And I know that romanticizes them a bit because in later periods yeah. they, they were sort of civil servants with swords. But yeah, exactly. you know, in the classical period, as it were, they were definitely a breed apart. 
Yeah, you were talking about this book that I told you I've read like four times when I was a teenager. That is completely uh, weird to do. But uh, so this book is called Hagakure. Uh, yes. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that for people who don't know the concept? Well, it's a classic kind of book on the samurai. It was written by one of the retainers of one of the, the, the clans. And it's basically a sort of instruction manual on how to be a samurai. And some of the things... You expect it to be kind of, you know, this sort of cut and this sort of, this is how you use your sword. But it's actually more of a handbook on life and behavior, talking, behavior in court and that sort of stuff. But the first thing, the point is made in the book is that, you know, the way of the samurai is in death. And yeah. the concept was, you know, if you can conquer that fear, you can then act spontaneously in everything you do to the, to, 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 for better reasons and for better results and death is everywhere in the book they talk oh, about yeah. that oh, all the time and very it, directly yeah. yes there's no kind of getting away from the fact if you were a samurai you were you're going to end up dead sooner or later that's for sure probably yeah. sooner rather than later because the japanese samurai always had the motif of the cherry blossom which is very resonant for me because I have a couple of cherry blossoms or cherry trees in my garden and the blossom is just finishing now. What, that is the, what is the, sorry, what is the, the metaphor with that? Well, the metaphor is the cherry blossom is beautiful, but it's transient. Mm. And the samurai philosophy was to live a beautiful life knowing that it's going to end. Oh, if, you've, if you've seen the film Last Samurai, with Tom Cruise, which is, yeah, which is a good film. It's a bit cheeky in the sense that Tom Cruise teaches the samurai how to be samurai, which is probably... <laughs> of course, he's American. Well, exactly. <laughs> this is the way the world works, isn't it? But there is a lot of reference to cherry blossoms. The, the main Japanese character oh. there is constantly looking for the perfect cherry blossom as one of his um, ambitions in life. So, yeah, there, there's this concept of the cherry blossom being beautiful but, but brief, and that's the ideal that they were after, I think. And what other parts of uh, Japanese philosophy do you do you like? You said it everything is treated as an art. Uh, we're talking about death and samurai. Is there, is there other things Zen related, or is oh, it yes. maybe more yeah <laughs> Zen or something about that? I'm, I'm very much into Zen. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at it a lot of the time, but I think mm -hmm. it's a fascinating philosophy. It's kind of boiled down Buddhism at the end of the day, you know, it's mm. uh, it's, it's, it's as basic as it can get. And I love calligraphy, Japanese calligraphy. I think their art and their ink paintings are fantastic. I think that's a, a kind of expression of, of the moment in itself, some of the, the work that they do. So, yeah, so I, I have a wider, and their, and their buildings, the temple buildings, et cetera, et cetera, everything has a, has a reason to it. So You've been to Japan, right? Nope, never been. Oh, you've never been to Japan. <gasps> I'd love to go, you but I fear I'd be disappointed it. in a sense. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I, trust me, you won't. Everyone who went to Japan who is into some kind of philosophical or manga or whatever you want that yeah. is related to Japan. I, I used to do a lot of judo, as you know. Yes. Uh, since I'm six years old, I, I do martial arts. I love manga. I love the culture. I love the food. And you go there and it's better. It's better than you expected. You're like, is it? Ooh, mm. Exactly. Oh, wow. You're so surprised. Of course, every country has its ups and downs and, and, um, 
and also his defaults. But uh, when you go there as an observer, it's you go to another another world. It's 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 crazy. You will love it when yeah. you have the chance after this uh, horrible period to go there. Uh, tell me about it. I, I want you to. <laughs> I want you to to call me, and I want you to hear a new voice. That you will love it. The, the uh, also, the, also yeah. very fond of sake as well. So I'm quite. Yeah, oof, right, you would love it. You will love everything. Trust me about it. I'll but, take your uh, word on it. <laughs> no, it's 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 interesting. And so Chudo Consulting. What does Chudo means? Middle way. Middle uh, way. So, so why? Well, because. In the world of business analysis, you're never taking any sides apart from the right outcome. So you're always in my book, and this is where my my worldview probably gets a bit deeper than some other people, because I'm sure there are a lot of business analysts who just think, well, I work on IT projects to deliver, deliver IT systems. But for me, it's more of a the way you do it. And I think you're always working, walking that middle way. You know, you're always... You're never taking sides. You're just pushing people towards the right outcome. You're not agreeing with one side or the other. Hmm. So as a BA, you kind of walk the middle path. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite a nice nice sort of way of communicating it for me. Wow, it's great. I love how everything is. Um, how you made sense of everything. Um, your well, job, on your purpose. <laughs> no, no, no. It uh, we can we can feel it that there was a. You know, when we we can see the the, the point of the iceberg, uh, it, it means that there was a lot of uh, introspection uh, yes. behind. And I, I love yeah. I love to see uh, the the little tip of the iceberg and say, oh, well, it makes sense, makes yeah. sense. I know that behind there's a lot yes. of uh, of thoughts. So no, it's great. It's I great. don't tend and, to share much of this with most people because I never get the chance. You know, but it's like everything there is there is in my presentations. I'll pick a particular picture because it's. There's a meaning to it for me, you know, particularly in my keynote speech, The Power of Change. Every every image I used in that presentation has got a resonance for me. I, I want to talk about the, uh, your your talk and what's in it yeah. because uh, I'm super interested in change, as you know, and, and you're the guy to talk uh, to about change. I want to get back to you a little bit. How yeah, did sure. you change uh, your life after this, this um, introspection and this realization uh, how did you switch to entrepreneur? It was in in a heartbeat, I guess. So, what was the um, the, the 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 thoughts behind? Yeah, I think I I realized I had a, a, something that I needed to say, um, and that in itself was kind of a a creative epiphany. Really, I was I was listening to a because I'm a big um, movie soundtrack nerd i'm a, I'm a huge oh. fan of movie soundtracks as well so okay i'm a great fan of hans zimmer and there's some new chaps coming out the um, gustafson who did the mandalorian and stuff like that there's a lot of new composers coming out there they've gone very nordic recently there's a much more kind of different flavor to sound on on films but i was listening to a particular piece of music from the uh, a film called uh, lone survivor which is a film set in afghanistan with um can't remember the chap's name now. He was in the latest Transformer films, American actor. Okay. Been in loads of films and he's completely gone from my head. Anyway, he's he, he plays the lone survivor in this film. But there was an amazing soundtrack to it. So I, I did what I normally do is not go out and buy the DVD. I go out and buy the soundtrack album <laughs> wow. and listen to this music. And all of a sudden, the, the, the images and words came into my head for the little animations I use in my keynote speech. 
And it was sort of that moment of, well, yeah, it was a revelation in a sense, not not necessarily religious, but it was sort of a creative hmm. revelation and an epiphany that I thought, well, this is something I really care about. This has come from inside me. So, you know, maybe I should do something about it. And once I had that framework, then the, the presentation sort of followed, really. So it sort of it came out of nothing, really, like a lot of creative urges, wow. I suppose. That's really cool. And 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 on a more uh, down to earth note, how did you? So you just opened your company. How did that happen? Because I know that when you work in a company for a long time, it's not easy to no. to take the leap to to dare to uh, to to say, okay, I'm going to change my life now. Yeah. So how did you proceed in? Um, well, I suppose I, I had the luxury of kind of sort of testing it without going live, if you see what I mean. I was doing the I was doing the keynote speeches. A, a quite, they they seemed to be quite successful, and I had a lot of good feedback. And I was working with a lot of different people who were saying, hey, "What you've got here is really unique." And then my friend Dave Harper, who I mentioned earlier, bought me a book when I uh, I think when I was talking about leaving or thinking about leaving, he knew I was thinking about leaving, called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan okay. Jeffers. And I read it and I thought, well, yeah, it is scary. It is frightening, but it's, it's you know, if it's worth it, it's worth it. So in the end, I just thought, well, I've got to jump, you know, I've got to do yeah. it. And the circumstances were right. I, I did it. Um, I actually was at the BA conference in 20... 18 i think it was or 2019 when i announced to the to the world that i was leaving my, my previous employment and within an hour at the social event in the evening i'd had three contract offers wow. to, do, to do stuff that i really wanted to do so i think what one tip i would say is never test the waters with both feet you know always put one foot in the <laughs> water first and and build up a network build up contacts with people and just build up experience you know and and it, it, it will come hmm. i like that because it's um yeah i think people get caught in this fear sometimes even unconscious fear and just analysis paralysis you know oh, and like well <laughs> without any subtle uh, pun you know but it's uh the analyst can uh, can really really block you yeah, I mean, there's an old, old cliche in the BA uh, in the IT world. If you want a room full of BAs to make a decision, it's never going to happen because we're so <laughs> used to analysing stuff and presenting options. Oh. With making a decision, it was it was it was difficult. But in the end, I thought, yeah, I've got something that's worth saying. I mean, it's it was I I call things um, what do I call? Uh, there's there's serendipity in life sometimes you know there's yeah there's moments where you look back and you think that was really significant and you know that that chat we we had was a hugely significant event for me because you know the fact that we sat there for what three and a half hours almost and talked about all these <laughs> different things convinced or helped convince me that I could do it and I could actually I was interesting enough to give it a go so all these little moments that you trace back after the event yeah. are very, very significant. It's like, hard to see ourselves, especially in this this type of uh, work, where you are part of the product because yes. it's so close to you, right? People buy your talk, people buy also the experience, people buy 
your uh, your experience and your uh, what you oh, your passion as well, don't they? Yeah, your, your energy, and it, yeah. it's very hard to judge yourself and be like, oh, am I good enough? Uh, so it's uh, yeah. I, I totally relate to what you say. It's um, all the, all the the people you meet and the the feedback you have, but it's um, at the end it's also similar to a lot of. Um, business ventures and creative projects that yes. you pick up the clues you listen to some feedback and and you just test it basically yeah uh, if we can also see it like that and plus you add a good dose of introspection and yes. <laughs> and here I you think, go i think that's really important the introspection and retro you know i i I've noticed in life that it's the, what you thought were really quite minor, insignificant events can be the most significant ones. I call them retroportant moments because you look back on them retrospectively and they're really important. But at the time you think, oh, I just had a nice chat there or I just had that, I just said hello to that person. But it's it's hardly ever the big moments that you think will be significant that turn out to be that way. It's always the little things. It's the kind of sort of pebbles on the beach that you pick up as you go along through life that kind of come back to you when you need them, I think. So what were your main obstacles when you started as an entrepreneur and uh, launching your business? Well, I think, I suppose my main obstacles were overcoming my own imposter syndrome, which I still get every every so often, just <laughs> overcoming that kind of um, am I good enough feeling. I think also mm. convincing myself that I had something that was uniquely mine that I could pour things into because you, you'll you'll appreciate this I'm sure that it's difficult to to really 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 deliver other people's material you know you can believe in it but if you've written it yourself you know you're going to get it 100% because you you you've, you've written it you you get exactly what the nuances are so yeah but at the same time, there's that thing, well, you know, that's, am I just doing my thing and flattering myself? So you have to overcome the kind of imposter syndrome. And there was a lot of practical things to learn, you know, bank accounts, tax, all that kind yeah. of stuff, legislation, legal stuff. But uh, that's that's just stuff you learn at the end of the day. You can read that in a book. But uh, And I think building the contact networks, once I'd actually got my first sort of paycheck in my bank account it was like oh i've arrived you know that actually i i can do this i mean it's fair to say i probably do more unpaid stuff than i do paid but at the end of the day that doesn't really matter to me so you know i, I hmm. do it because i want to do it so how do you overcome those um psychological obstacle imposter syndrome and how do you um because i'm you you are going to tell me it's uh, a lot of introspection again. So how do you proceed when you have those introspection moments? Is that Do you take some time or is it just something that is at the back of your mind? Do you work on it? How do you work on it? I think for me, it, when I'm feeling, you know, a little bit hesitant or perhaps a little bit nervous, like if I'm pre premiering a new presentation or stuff like that, I do. I personally do a lot of visualization. That works as a technique for me. I visualize previous successful presentations mm. uh, and get myself into that mindset of, you know, what it felt like. I'll be think. I won't just think. I won't just sort of think of the, the words I used or whatever. I think about the feelings I had. I think about how the room was, how the, what the noise was like, what the, what the lighting was like. I put the whole event into my mind, and it, it kind of. I'm a great believer in the connection between body and mind, which we can probably come back to because that's the answer to a different question, I think. But, um, yeah. you know, I think that that helps me. And also I just I tend to when I've got doubts, I tend to review feedback 
that I've had. I had some. Uh, I, I did a, a big corporate um, conference uh, a couple, well, three or four summers ago, and it went well. It was at the football association headquarters in the UK, and it went pretty well. I was I was there the night before, and I sort of was was on the following day, and I sort of had a hotel room, and I was sat in the hotel room. And I looked in the mirror as I sat there because I was just—I tend to re-rehearse my presentation a couple of times before I go on stage. Yeah. And I looked up in this sort of, you know, the desk sort of they have in hotel rooms, and I looked in the mirror. And I thought, this is really me. This is really mm. me doing this. You know, this is not somebody else. And these people appreciate what I'm doing, and they—they're prepared to invest in it. And that mm. was a big, big breakthrough for me. But the, the other big breakthrough from that event was a few months later. I had an email from a, a young lady who'd, who'd seen the presentation and she said, I found it really good, really useful. And it was really helpful for me when my parents were killed in a car crash because I was able to think back to what you said and it really helped me through the event. And she said, I was then able to tell some of my other relatives and it helped them as well. And I thought, well, stop the bus. You know, I, my in a way, my job here is done. You know, I'm never going to get better feedback than that. You know, so I often relate back to that and think how how that m made made such a difference for me. And I, I went back to her and said, "Well, you've just changed my life by giving me that feedback." You know, because I think you you establish these virtuous circles of benefit with people when they when they share. You know, so I don't think that's, that that's a huge thing for me. Reviewing feedback. Wow, it's uh, yeah. Really inspiring. You know, yeah, I mean, I had tears in my eyes when uh, when I yeah. got that email, and in fact, I still get a bit, you know, teary I got tears when in I think my eyes when you told me that. <laughs> yeah. So I can't imagine you at this moment. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, very emotional. Wow. Yeah, it's it's great. So you, to to um, I love how you embody what you said. That's that's what I love also about you, and everything is aligned. That's why I also talk about uh, you know tip of the iceberg and introspection behind. That when you see something aligned, is it's not randomly usually. Yeah, you know, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of work behind, and and um, I, I like that. And uh, yeah, it's also great that you use the past to feel better in the present. Yes. It's, uh, it's a, that's a conscious exercise that anyone can do. Oh yes, uh, yes. That is very very practical, and 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 be self aware, like you described to be like this is me today this is what i'm doing yeah. so it's you don't get caught in the future hopes no exactly and i think the important thing with visualization well one of the things that i've learned is it's really important to be quite specific about it you know i i, I was working with a, a colleague some colleagues once and senior managers and I was talking about using visualization and, and one of the colleagues said, uh, yeah, I used to do visualization when I was a swimming, when I, when I did swimming when I was younger. I said, oh, yeah, what, 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 what did you do? And he said, well, my coach used to tell me, imagine what it was like winning the Olympics. And I said, hmm, did, did you ever win the Olympics? And he said, well, no, I didn't. And I said, oh, right, hmm. that's interesting. Because I said, for me, with the pupils I used to teach at fencing, I always found that it was important to visualize something that they could really, really believe in and that yeah. they really experienced. So I would say to them, can you can you imagine scoring one point? Yes, I can. Right. So in order to win a match, imagine yourself itself doing it five times in a row. Hmm. You know, rather than you're going to win the European Championships or you're going to win the final or you're going to win the Olympics, I said to them, I gave them visualization tasks that they'd already experienced because I think 
visualization and imagination are two slightly different things and you can imagine something but until you've experienced it you can't totally visualize it i find and that's just my view but i find that visualizing something that's actually happened that you can then multiply makes more sense than trying to imagine something that hasn't yeah yeah yeah. no totally I, i agree with that and i am it resonates with me because I, it never really worked. This thing I've tried many times, the visual, visualization of things I want or I'd like to happen. And it's so blurry, you know? Yes. You have to involve imagination and then your brain doesn't believe it anymore. It's like, exactly, because oh, it no, knows it's, it's not real. Imagining stuff now. <laughs> yeah, if you can go back to something and recreate the sights, the sounds, the smells even, you know, of that, mm-hmm. of that experience. Yeah. The brain will say, because there's research that, that shows that the brain will will react in exactly the same way to a real event yeah. as to a, a visualized event. And I think you can get yourself back into that space quite quite well by by using real events and then dialing it up a notch to kind of multiply it, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your your what you say in your talk. So what is your view on change? I know, wait, before you go, uh, because I know we can talk about that for hours. Um, yes. So your overview of change, I should say. Uh, and um, yeah, how do you, I know you talk, for example, about the hero's journey, but yes. not only, of course. So what is the... Um, I Can think, you describe to people listening to us what it is and how it works? Sure. I mean, the, the talk works in three sections. I, I rattle on about myself and my own personal history for the first third. Then I talk about two kind of models of change that are widely known in the in the industry. And then I talk about my experience of change and what I've brought back from it, the principles that I've kind of brought into my life. But in terms of change as a practical process, I think there are the two models that I, I, I really relate to are the change curve, which takes you through the physical process of change, and then the hero's journey, which is something that Joseph Campbell modelled, which is almost like how do you get benefit, how do you get value out of change? So I mm. think there's if people can understand that the, the way they're feeling is actually you know it's like when you're a teenager and you hear a song that you think it completely encapsulates your life but you thought you were the only one who's ever lived that lived that life you know when you realize that mm-hmm. other people are going through it i'm special <laughs> yes exactly but when you realize that other people are going through it it kind of makes it sometimes it makes it more bearable and if it doesn't if it doesn't get more bearable you probably become a goth and you know, you, you stay that way, you could wear a lot of black and that sort of stuff. But, you know, mm. I think if you realize that change is a process and you tend, most people tend to react to it in a similar way, it, it, it becomes easier, not, well, not easier, but you can, you can perhaps get through it a bit better. So I talk about the change curve where you, you have the initial shock, then you have denial, then you have depression, then you have experimentation, then you have, um, sort of you then bring it into your life and then you move on you know so there's Mm -hmm. that everybody goes through those emotions when subject to change but not necessarily in the same order or the same speed and then you've got Campbell's hero's journey which is kind of not the physical process but actually um the the way you get benefit out of it and it's the hero quest you know the hero he or she gets a calling they're in their normal state they go off and do something extraordinary they learn a lot and they come back to life and apply it in their life so 
those two models for me are quite fundamental in the way I've kind of put my philosophy together. Hmm. So I, I have a, a question coming up when you're talking about this is that I believe people don't have the awareness or the, the they, they don't have the, the opportunity to take a step back when it, they are in, in certain uh, phases of the model yes. Yes. because they're caught with the emotion, right? Yeah. So why would you, what kind of tip can you give to people so they can take a little step back and say, oh, I'm in this period, I'm in denial, I'm in mm. experimentation or whatever, and know what's coming next. Usually, of course, it's not a roadmap that's always perfect, but... What kind of what kind of advice can you give uh, to people? I think just just kind of read about the change process. You know, look it up. There's lots of books about personal transformation that you can read, because once you realise that there are steps to it, it kind of. I I have an expression: uh, you're shining a light on the change monster that lives under the bed. You know, when you're a kid <laughs> and you're in bed and you hear a noise under the bed and you think, well, it's the change monster. It's a horrible monster. And then you look under the bed and it's not. There's nothing there. The, the other metaphor I use is the is the film Jaws. You know, for two thirds of the yeah. film, you don't see the shark, and it's absolutely <laughs> terrifying. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you see the shark, and you think, "Oh, it's a big rubber shark." <laughs> so, yeah. if you can train yourself or, or or catch yourself when you're reacting, in the sense of, right, you're in the moment, you're suddenly feeling depression or denial or shock or anger. It's like catch it, stop it, and think, "What am I hearing here? What am I feeling here? What am I?" What am I actually reacting to? You know, um, I mean, I had an example this week. I had a, a letter from a hospital, Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. Uh, I'm actually going to have brain surgery in two months' time to help with my Parkinson's. Okay. And I've I've been kind of waiting for it for the last year or so because with the COVID things, there's been, you know, operations haven't been available. So, And I wasn't expecting it to happen this year. So yesterday I went from not happening this year to happening in less than two months' time. <laughs> Wow. And that kind of gives you a bit of an adrenaline rush. And then I thought, right, so what am I suddenly nervous about? Hmm. I know what the hospital visit entails. I'm nervous about getting to the hospital. Right, okay, well, that's not a big deal. My wife will help me with that. It might be difficult, but we'll come up with a plan. I'm a bit frightened of needles. Well, those needles are going to go in your arm to actually help you. They're not going in your arm to hurt you. They're helping you get, get through the operation. You know, hmm. so if you catch yourself before the change monster grabs you or before the, the, you know, if you see the rubber shark, it's a lot less frightening than it, it can be. And I think just being in the moment and really, it's a, I suppose it's a Zen thing. It's really examining the moment for what it is. What are you really scared of? Yeah. And a lot of the time you find what you're really scared of isn't really that scary at all when you think about it. Yeah. So the trigger is I have some emotions. So wait, pause yes, right pause. triggers yeah. emotion po emotions pose and then yeah. and then be like and then okay let's take a step it. back yeah almost okay. be with it put your arms around it and say right i see what you i see you're here for a reason because we always react to change with fear we can't help it another part of my talk really is that the fear the fear of change is triggered by the fight flight or freeze reaction in our brain yeah which is one of the most primitive parts of the brain we've had it since we were little reptiles so it's a primal reaction. And, and if you can kind of go, stop, what's going mm. on here? Um, you can sometimes, you know, short circuit the whole process, which is... That, that's a superpower. That's a superpower. It, it, kind of, it kind of is, I suppose. But just be aware do, of it. Do you, do you meditate? I do, yes. 
Yeah. Because that helps a lot, no? It does. Listening to the mind is amazing how much rubbish is going on all the time. <laughs> you know, sometimes just being in the silence is quite important, I think. Huh. So what can people do in this period, for example, you know, the, this period of uh, COVID for people listening to us in the future? Uh, we are in 2021, in yeah. the end of April, and it's it seems like a never-ending situation and a lot of people some clients comes to me and say people are depressed in our company it's yeah. a lot of uh it's it's uh it's a hard mental struggle we we live so yes. what kind of advice you can give to people listening to us i think it, it's going to sound in a sense it's going to sound quite glib but i one of the things i've been doing in some of my talks and my training sessions and work i've been doing with business analysts is is put the fun back into it you know, we've all been living in this kind of letterbox-shaped Zoom screen for mm. the last 12 to 18 months. Our job has been confined to this laptop monitor or your TV monitor or your, your mobile phone monitor screen sometimes in some cases. And it gets very, very samey. And try and put the fun back into it. You know, try and break... Well, one of the um, martial arts um, terms that you'll probably be familiar with is, is cadence and rhythm. You know, if you're in a martial arts situation and you're 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 doing your moves to exactly the same rhythm, one and two and three and four, and you're going to get very predictable, very easy to defend against and counterattack. So I used to teach my fencers to, you know, might go quick and then go slow and then go quick, yeah. you know. <laughs> Because uh, just uh, just a, a quick uh, just a quick story around that I used to do uh, a bit of boxing yes. when I was living in London, and it was a guy from um, I don't want to say stupid things I think Bulgaria, and he was always um, he wasn't using a lot of fancy words he was just saying bam boom boom bam mm. and it was always and I found it always great because he yeah. wasn't giving us a lot of intro but he was just saying you do this and then you just yeah. boom, boom, bam, he was describing it you just you just yeah you just get it you get the dynamic you get the rhythm exactly so sorry i i cut you in no that's a, that's a lovely story and i think that's a sort of pretty visceral demonstration of how it can work because it's easy for me to say you need to vary your timing so when i talk about it on zoom I will say, you know, it could be quite important to leave people some time to think <laughs> about things. But then other times you might want to rush people along, you know, yeah. and, and it, 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 that is the most basic level of doing it. But everything you do in your job has a rhythm. So if you're running, say, a big meeting and you've just done a lot of intensive brainstorming, it might be you just want to give them a chance to have a doodle for 10 minutes, you know. The, yeah. the Japanese have another concept called ma. Well, the word ma means space. And if you ever look at a Japanese painting or a bit of calligraphy, you'll find that it's never right bang in the middle because the philosophy oh. is the space is just as important as the actual piece of art. And I think... Yeah, we found that a lot in many, many arts as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the same in kind of what you do, as a, particularly if you're running meetings or you're speaking. Hmm. Sometimes you've just got to leave a little bit of silence. Well read there, well read, <laughs> because it makes a difference and it allows people time to think. And in this Zoom world and the t Microsoft Teams world or whatever software you've been using world, it's constantly push, 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 push information, push information, keep talking. Don't we can't be quiet because we're online. You know, we've got to show we're still alive and we're still working. Well, that's that's rubbish. 
you've got to give people time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and a client recently told me, I said, oh, so what were, what are your main challenges? And she nailed it. She said, um, we don't have enough moments of um, breathing moments, breathing moments. And I was like, exactly. Between you go from one Zoom to the other. And, and oh, no, I need to go groceries before it's lockdown and, and curfew and whatever. And, uh, you know, it's you don't you you just go one after the other. You don't have. Sometimes I go on my balcony and I just take a coffee. And you like, have to, you have to. And I, I think you know, one thing that we've, because of the immediacy of the crisis, when the whole thing kicked off and lockdown came in and companies had to adapt or die, you know, that kind of stuff. Everybody thought it was just working from home. And, you know, in, a, in, in contracts over here in the UK, in my company, we had working from home as an option and you had the kit supplied to you and you perhaps do it two or three days a week and then come into the office. So that kind of just carried on and everyone thought they were working from home. I think people have been working at home and that's a completely different thing for me. That means your home is your office. That means yeah. everybody in your house is your colleague and they can hear what you're doing, which in itself can have sensitivity issues if you're having a, a conversation about a private contract or whatever. So the, the world is not, it's not working from home and employees and, and, and rather employers, I think, who've assumed that it's the same thing for their employees are wrong. It's not. You've allowed the office into your most sacrosanct space, your your personal home. And mm -hmm. we need to realize that there have to be boundaries because I'm hearing of people working all through the night. And if that suits them, perhaps that's that's okay. But people are doing, I mean, I talk to my old colleagues and they're doing Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call. And you have to have that break. You know, you have to have that moment of introspection to kind of just be able to to kind of appreciate the well what you've got you know to bring yourself back because without that i think people are just getting burnt out that, that's that's the worry i have is that people are just getting completely exhausted because you have to concentrate so much on a little laptop's window you you know I, there's a i'm gonna i'm gonna sound like i'm repeating myself now there's an old um, samurai saying about viewing the distant mountain And uh, the, the the philosophy with that was when you're fighting an opponent, you don't look at them because everything on their body, you'll know this as a martial artist. I could faint with my head. I could faint with my feet. I could draw you into something you thought I was going to do, which I was going to do differently with my body. So you don't look at what your opponent is doing. You look at the distant mountain and you get the view of it, the kind of overall view of what they're doing. But I translate mm -hmm. that sometimes. It's just look out the window, you know. Yeah, change your focus, like you said. Go out on your balcony, look out of your window, because you're constantly looking at your screen these days, and that's no way to be enjoying your life, as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, I got a bit, a bit, a bit random. <laughs> no worries, no worries. But you know what? I was thinking uh, because we wanted to talk about creativity today as well, and um, I think I, I, I'm trying to keep those those um, podcasts uh, shorter than I used to 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 do. And you should come back again on the podcast. I'm sure you have nothing again. Against that no, I'd be happy to. <laughs> and I'd love to talk you know about creativity and the, the and change again and all those things because I think it's uh, we can go way further than that right now we gave a glimpse into <laughs> uh, what, what you what you say and as you know we, I can talk with you for a long time um, but 
for the next time <laughs> for people listening to us i just decided that right now i'm just inviting david again hey. uh, because there is uh, <laughs> there's so much more to say about this and um so come back guys for the next episode uh, right now i wanted to introduce you to this amazing guest uh-huh. um before before we wrap up i want you please to give uh, people listening to us two three tips mainly for people who are working in a company and who are hesitating to become entrepreneurs what what would you tell them i think if you believe in an idea and you think it's it's going to make a difference to people do it you know it, it's a, it's a glib thing to say but sometimes you have got to jump and i think when you're at the point when you you will come there will come a point where you know you're ready and and you need to listen to that and be prepared to go for it because I, I think everybody who's listening to this and everybody who I talk to in presentations, we have all got something about us that is extraordinary. And if you can find that and if you can access that, what you want to do with it will be extraordinary as well. So that's, that that would be my my thing to say to people. Find what's wow. extraordinary about you and share it because it will be a fantastic story. I love that. Uh, where can we find you? David, well, I'm currently in my conservatory, so if you pop through the lounge <laughs> from the kitchen, you'll find me in there. Now, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, and from LinkedIn, you can get access to all my blogs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I have a couple of blogs as well, and um, my company website is TudoConsulting.com, if I recall correctly, but it, I might be wrong. <laughs> we will put the, all the links in the description. Yeah, yeah. that'll be good. Well, David, that's uh, great. Um, I'm sorry to to end up like that. I'm I'm eager to continue, but I made a promise to myself and my team <laughs> that we would we would keep them short. We need and... space. Let's see, we need space. <laughs> I told you 30, 45 minutes, and we're already at like fifty-five. So, um, anyway, I I really believe we need a second episode or more uh, because there is so much to talk about. I want to have you take on creativity which is a different take from yeah. mine, obviously, and, and very interesting take. And uh, in the meanwhile, for people listening to us, I remind you that you can find the Creativity Podcast on YouTube, on SoundCloud, Apple and Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So share this episode with friends and colleagues if you liked it. And uh, David, thank you again for your time. It was great. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure, mate. And I uh, wish you to have a great day. Same to you and everyone listening.